Well, I'm excited today because um, you get to hear from my pastor. Uh, Laura and I, we went to Central Church of the Nazarene for years when I was in radio. And my pastor's name was Dave McKellops. Dave and Gloria McKellops, who are down here right now on the front row. Uh, my children, uh, some of them were baptized under his ministry. Uh, I um, fully surrendered my life under his ministry, and I was called to be a pastor under his ministry. So he's the one you blame for that. So if you want to talk to him afterwards, that's who we talk to. Um, Dr. McKellops now is now the district superintendent over the Northeastern Oklahoma District. Uh, we are a partner church in the International Church of the Nazarene. If you don't know that, this is pretty cool. Over 2 million members worldwide. Right now, you're worshiping with like 30,000 churches around the world. That's pretty awesome. And he's one of our leaders. And so I want you to hear from our pastor this morning. So would you give a hand as Dr. Dave McKellips comes to speak to us this morning? Come on, Dr. Dave. Well, good morning. What a treat to be with you today. I want you to know I had my three grandkids with me this week. And uh, several times a day, we would sing the song, Has Anybody Told You I Love You Today, to one another. Now, my, my four-year-old likes to play games with me sometimes, and so he'll switch it and say, Has anybody told you I don't love you today? But, <laughs> but anyway, so I want to start off just letting you know I love you. It's great to be with you. I love your pastor, Pastor Brad. He already brought a great message today. I'm really not sure that I need to be here. <laughs> But if this one doesn't speak to you, you've already heard a good word. <laughs> so thank you, Brad. Thank you for the good work you're doing. I love uh, Laura. Uh, we're just thankful to call you friends and partners in ministry. And uh, I love you. Love this church. Love what you're doing. Love hearing what's happening in your worship services. I get hear reports, and I, I hear about the core community and the wonderful time of fellowship there and prayer together and so the service that you're having within our community. I believe great days are ahead for Core Church, and I just love trying to be a cheerleader and help in any way that I can in that process. Well, Brad called me uh, five, six weeks ago and talked to me about preaching on this last Sunday of your series on prayer, and uh, so I thought, oh, what will I preach about? Well, the next morning, uh, God is so good. Next morning in devotional reading, Psalm 130 was a, a part of my devotional reading. There's, some, there's usually a psalm and a, and a New Testament passage, Old Testament passage, and, and Psalm 130 just jumped out at me that day. And then I began to think of some other things, another song. You know, the psalms are the prayer book of the church. And so as you're thinking about prayer, that's a great source to go to and, and let the words of these ancient texts help voice our prayer to God. And so for today, I'd like you to look at Psalm 130, and we'll also look at Psalm 37, uh, part of it together. But I invite you to uh, go with me on this journey that I believe God is guiding us to as we look at this subject of prayer. So Psalm 130, when I read it uh, that day about five, six weeks ago, it was from the message uh, translation. And so that's what I'm going to share with you today. Psalm 130, verse 1. Would you uh, read this with me? We'll put this scripture up, and will you read this first verse with me? I think we'll put that first verse up. There we go. Read this with me aloud. Help, God, 
the bottom has fallen out of my life. Now, I couldn't tell if all of you were reading. Let's read this together. Help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Isn't it good to know that it's in Scripture? We're encouraged to pray that kind of prayer. I mean, I don't know if it was a long time ago you prayed that prayer, if it was this week, but every one of us have probably had many times, that's really our prayer. Help, God. (laughs) The bottom's fallen out. I've felt like that a few times since I began working on this message. And I think, oh, boy, I got to apply this. The bottom's fallen out of my life. Well, here's the thing about the Psalms, and we won't talk a lot about it, but the most popular type of Psalm, the most frequent, is a lament. The the neat thing about it is we're told we can take our cry, our prayer to God, and they knew where to take it to. God was the one to go to when the bottom has fallen out of your life. And so that's what the psalmist did. Let's, Let's continue on the next slide. Let's read this together, starting with Master. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. I don't know what comes to your mind when you see those words. But it sounded to me like the psalmist was trying to say, God, desperately, I need your undivided attention. Here's the picture that came to my mind. My daughter, Lindsay, I saw for about 24 hours this week when she came to pick up her her three kids. It is good when the parents come back and pick up their kids. I just want you to know that. So when she came back, but when Lindsay, about 30 years ago, She's probably about three. There were some times when she was sitting on my lap and she was talking to me and I might be watching the TV or I might be looking at something I was reading. And Lindsay had a way when she wanted my attention of putting her hands on both sides of my face. You might have had a kid that did that. You might have been the kid that did that. She put hands on both sides and just turned my head towards her. I think that's what the psalmist is doing with God. He's saying right there, Master, Listen hard. (laughs) Open your ears. I'd like you to do something with me. Would you just, as we pause, would you just bow your head? Close your eyes. And God is here. And if you could put your hands on both sides of the face of God, and if you could cry out to him and tell him some need that's pressing on your heart. Maybe it's the one you've just mentioned as pastor challenged us to put our Jericho before God. But what is it right now that you want to bring to him and you need his attention? What's good to know that he cares. His ears are open. His loving kindness and mercy repeated so often in the Old Testament, they never Fail. All right, you can lift your heads up. Let's read the next part of the passage together. Next verses. Read aloud. If you, God, kept records of wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshiped. As we get into this psalm, we find out that the particular anguish that our psalmist was dealing with when this passage was written was his own sin. He was aware that he served a holy God. And rebellion against that God was very serious. 
And he's aware of his sin and he's crying out to God for God's mercy. And these things are always in tension in scripture, the, the, the holiness of God that we're accountable to, but the gracious and forgiveness of God that we need every day and every hour. And the psalmist here is saying, I need thee, God. I need thee. I need thee for forgiveness of my sin. And the good news that comes to him is forgiveness is God's habit. Aren't you thankful for that? It doesn't mean we take sin lightly because the psalmist didn't. He took it very seriously. We, We don't rebel against God and think that it doesn't matter. It matters to God. It mattered to him. But yet as he was aware of his brokenness and of sin and he cried out to God, he realized, you know, the kind of God we serve is the God whose habit is to forgive and to be gracious unto us. And that led him then to know that because of that forgiveness, we worship him. That's the response to a God who has poured out his love and his grace and mercy on us so freely. We we bow before him. We worship him. Let's continue reading this psalm. Read aloud. I pray to God my life a prayer and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. The psalmist talks about the watchman on the wall. That's what it says in the NIV translation, for waiting and watching till morning. We don't have very many people have jobs being watchmen on the wall anymore. I mean, just the job losses in our society, it's tough. There's no watchman on the wall anymore. There's no one looking out to make things are safe while we sleep. I've never had a job as watchman on the, on the wall. I did during seminary, though, my first semester of seminary. I had a job as a security guy at a hospital that was being built. And so I would be there during the night. I can tell you, I know what it's like to be longing for the daylight and longing for that to be over. And I think it's that kind of longing that the psalmist is conjuring up for us here. Just as the the watchman waits in eager anticipation, there's hope, there's anticipation of what's going to come. He said, so we are with our God. We're waiting for him. What we sing about his presence, we're waiting for his presence because we know with his presence, with his arrival, comes forgiveness. Then let's finish the passage. Oh, core church, did you know you were in the scripture? (laughs) And you said you're only four years old. Come on. (laughs) Wow, this is incredible. Let's read it to us. Oh, core church, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. No doubt about it, he'll redeem core church, buy back core church from captivity to sin. Well, praise be to God. Well, that's good news. I I know that text actually said Israel, but you're part of the new Israel. So that's you, Core Church, this is for you. Well, here's in that verse right there, actually verse five, is the, is the thought that just jumped out at me that day. My life, a prayer. I pray to God, my life, a prayer. And I thought as we conclude this uh, series that you've been having on prayer, and I've unfortunately missed out on the messages, I, I definitely want to go back and 
and hear Laura when she spoke. I'm not sure how many of Brad's I want to hear, but I want to hear Laura's. I just want you to know that. <clears throat> but as I was thinking about it this day, it, I was reminded, you know, that prayer is not just something that I do to start the day. That's a good thing to do to start the day. It's not just something I do before mealtime, although it's a good thing to do before mealtime, to give thanks for what you have. It's not just something that I do at bedtime. It's not just things that I, I, I intersperse throughout the day. Prayer is my life. I need constant connection with God. I need him every hour. Every hour I need him. Now, the particular psalm, Psalm 130 that we've looked at, the focus is on our need for forgiveness. And remember what the psalmist said, how that came about? He said, God's arrival brings love and generous redemption. He was saying what we sang about, it's in his presence, in his presence in our life that we have forgiveness. Sometimes you run into people who are believers and they'll think that forgiveness is something they have in their pocket, that they just kind of carry it around. You know, I prayed a prayer, I have forgiveness in my pocket. But that's not the way scripture sees it. Scripture says that's not something you have in your pocket. Forgiveness comes through being connected with Christ because he's the source of forgiveness. It's in Christ that we have forgiveness. It's as he arrives on the scene, as the psalmist says, it's, it's then that we have love. It's then that we have generous redemption. And the New Testament teaches over and over that forgiveness is as we are in Christ, as we remain in him, as we abide in him, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. According to 1 John 1, 9, 1, 9, it's then that we have his blood continuing to cleanse us from every sin. So this psalmist, what he's talking about, this phrase, is something that's taught throughout Scripture. Prayer is not just one little activity that we do throughout the day. Our life is a prayer, continuing to remain in Christ, to be in him, to depend on him and his presence. What the psalmist found true for forgiveness, we could also say is true for provision. Our provision is in Christ. So we stick close to him. The same would be true for our empowerment, our empowerment, our power to live the holy life. It's in Christ. Our transformation is in Christ. It's remaining in him. It's walking in him. It's walking in the spirit, according to the apostle Paul. It's, it's my life a prayer. See, he is our life. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. He is our provision. He is our healer. He is our redeemer. He's our source of peace. He's our guide. As we live in him, with him at the center of our life, that's how we experience life that's abundant and victorious. A few weeks ago, the 100-mile-an-hour wind tore through our city. Your yards were probably full of branches, as my yard was full of branches. Maybe even a whole tree came down in your yard. I was thinking about the truth we learned from that as I drive around our city and still see some of the trees on the side of the road. I thought, what a vivid illustration of the truth that we're looking at today. See, you take that branch off and separate it from the source of nourishment and life. And what do you have? I mean, just very quickly, you've got brown dead leaves. 
John 15 teaches us that's a spiritual truth for every one of our lives. It's as we remain in him, as we abide in him, that we're going to bear fruit in our lives. Someone put this on Facebook a, a few days ago. It said, today's goals start with God. That's a good goal, isn't it? Stay with God. End with God. I thought that's a good truth to be sharing on Facebook. All the other stuff that we put on, and I used stuff carefully. I could have used some other words. <laughs> All the things we put on, but that's a good word. <laughs> Start with God, stay with God, end with God. See, we begin to see that prayer is not a button that I push to get exactly what I want God to do. Rather, it's a relationship to be pursued. My life, a prayer. Richard Foster, who helped many of us really cut our teeth on the whole area of spiritual formation and and the, the habits that help us draw close to God, means of grace. He says this, for those explorers in the frontiers of faith, prayer was no little habit tacked onto the periphery of their lives. It was their lives. It was the most serious work of their most productive years. Prayer, nothing draws us closer to the heart of God. Well, as I was there uh, praying about five weeks ago and reading this scripture, immediately my mind went to another scripture. See, I, <clears throat> I saw this truth of my life of prayer taught and lived out by my father. My father was a pastor. My father was influenced by another pastor named Earl Lee who taught a church in California. In fact, his son was one of the Iranian hostages. That's an interesting little truth. But, and he got to teach the, the media that came to live these principles that he lived by. But Earl Lee taught and my father learned Psalm 37, a cycle of victorious living. And, and so I'd like you to read this scripture with me as well. Psalm 37, we're just going to read the first few verses and let's read it aloud. Could we do that? Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Well, I thought of that passage that day because of, of the teaching on my life as a prayer. And Earl Lee called this, this, the teaching of this psalm, the cycle of victorious living. Every year he would teach this at his church. And so my dad got in the habit of doing that. Often at prayer time in our church service, my dad would demonstrate some truth of it. And, and I'd like us to look at it just in our remaining time together and even hear a little bit from, from my dad on this. But the cycle of victorious living, and if you could, if you put up the little graphic about the cycle of victorious living, it all again centers on the Lord. 
and actually the love of our great God. See, he's always the initiator. He's the pursuer. He's been pursuing us forever, (laughs) trying to call us into relationship with himself. And it begins with him. It begins with being connected with him at the center. As we do that, we have to not fret. Remember, that was the first verse of that song, fret not. It was interesting, even I don't follow Facebook religiously. You wouldn't know it because I'm quoting it a couple times here, but I saw a couple of your members, a couple of your members. In fact, one of your pastoral staff a few days ago had something online that said this, live in Christ, don't live in worry. Well, that's kind of what the psalmist was saying there. You know, he said, it begins in Christ, but we have a responsibility. We have ability to respond. How do we respond as we're trying to live in Christ and focus in on him? Well, one of the responses we could make is to fret or worry. And how many of us know that comes really natural? <laughs> I mean, I found myself fretting uh, as I was even working on this over some situations. Oh, okay, I got to apply this passage. Fret not. <laughs> fret not. Don't worry. <laughs> Another member of the church had uh, Philippians 4, 6 on, on Facebook a couple days ago. And, you know, there again, Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. In this cycle of the victorious living, as we being aware of his presence, his reality, his love, and choosing our response, we choose to commit. It begins there and trust, and delight, and rest. It, it's, if you go back to that graphic one more time, I apologize for leaving it, but um, see, it's just a rhythmic cycle. As Earl Lee said, it's, just, it, it's a life we live. There's situations that come up every day, and every day then we have to make that decision, what am I going to do with this challenge that I face? What am I going to do with this need? And some needs come up every day again, don't they? <laughs> Is that every day we're making that choice, my life or prayer, where, God, I don't want to fret. I want to know who you are. I want to lean into you. You're bigger than the problem. You're bigger than my need. I'm going to commit my way to you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to delight in you. I'm going to rest in you. And it's just living out that life, my life a prayer. And that's what God calls me to do. That's what God calls you to do. Let's look a little bit more at each one of those. And if you go to the next one, commit. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Or at least that's how we enter this cycle of victorious living, this committing. It starts here. We, we turn what we have and the challenges we face, we turn them over to God. My dad often, and so people who I've pastored, you've, you've heard me do this. He'd say, as we go to prayer often, he'd say, if you take your hands and cup them and kind of picture the need you bring into this place of worship. And then, you know, what is that need you bring? And then he'd say, could you release it to the Lord? Palms down. And even God would say, fingers apart. You can hold on to things with your fingers, with your palms down. (laughs) Palms down, fingers apart, releasing that to the Lord, committing it to him, committing your way to the Lord, committing that situation to the Lord. And it's a continuous process. I mean, I commit some things, and then the next day I'm fretting about it. I've got to remember, okay, God, I'm renewing that commitment to you. Palms down, God, it's yours. I trust you to to handle that situation. John White was one of my favorite authors as a young adult. 
And I remember reading one day, because part of our tradition is this call for a full surrender of your life to God. And I remember reading John White when he said, you know, when we come to God and we pray that prayer, oh God, take my life, take all of me. He said, God honors that prayer in weekly and daily and hourly installments. You know, we, we keep living this cycle. We keep living our life of prayer, committing our way to the Lord. New situations come, new challenges, we commit them to the Lord. Well, I asked my dad, Kent Claggett helped me in taping here just a few days ago, and, and my dad's 85. So thanks for indulging me with this. This is really good therapy for me. I, I know I don't have my dad much longer, but my dad taught me about these principles through God's word. And so I'd like you to hear what my dad has to say about commitment, what it what it's meant. Years ago, I heard uh, this message of cycle of victorious living. And I thought, that's a good way to live. But uh, saying that and really having it put to the test, I had done it in worship services, We'd had prayer and say, turn hands down with your burden and so forth. But when we got word and we became aware of how our son was living, we became alarmed. Uh, he was left with, with a broken leg out on the street by those he had been associating with. And uh, I was caught up in fretting. I was anxious and I'd lay awake at night and pray still concerned still upset and one night just in desperation I said Lord I'm going to trust you I delight in you I love you with all my heart and I'm going to just turn my son over into your care and I was able to rest and sleep in peace a few weeks later, I got a phone call on a Sunday night. My son said, Dad, Gary Haynes held a revival meeting here at North Church. And I went forward. And I want to come home. I can't live a Christian life here. I said, come home. And he did. We had some ups and downs. He was addicted. Had to overcome that. Had to join AA which he was reluctant to do. He said, they're just a bunch of drunks. And I said, well, guess what you are? <laughs> he didn't appreciate that at first, but he later decided that his dad was not too dumb. But anyhow, later on, he had a very serious car wreck. And he had trauma to his chest, his lungs. He had broken legs. They thought they possibly would have to amputate one of his legs. But anyhow... He was lying there. Uh, they put a feeding tube. Unfortunately, he had a situation where he swallowed his vomit into his lungs. And he already had lung damage where he could hardly breathe. They had a breathing machine on him to help him breathe. The, the machine was doing all the breathing. And, of course, 
the doctor said, if you want your family to see him before he passes, you better invite them because I don't think he'll make it. But when they tell you that about your son, you can't imagine what goes through your mind and how it affects you. And so, of course, we prayed. And my wife, Shirley, and I would stand over him and over his chest and pray for him that God would touch him, touch his lungs, and restore him to health. We saw no sign that that was happening. And so one night, we had prayed and we had said, Lord, we commit Steve to you. He's in your hands. We can't save him. We can't cause him to breathe. Only you can do what needs to be done. And so we just committed him to the Lord. I don't know what night it was. It was shortly thereafter. I woke up wide awake, 3 o'clock in the morning. My wife sleeping next to me. I didn't wake her up. She didn't wake me up. She woke up at exactly the same time. I had a scripture. I am the Lord that healed thee. And I said, I believe that's from the Lord. And she quoted her scripture differently. And we felt confident that God was going to touch him. We went to see him. He was in ICU. It was a few days later. The doctor said, your son's starting to breathe a little bit on his own. Pretty soon, he's breathing more on his own. Finally, the day came when he was breathing completely. I was visiting another member of our church who was quite desperately ill, and I saw this Jewish doctor that had cared for my son, and I said, sir, I want to thank you for all you did to help my son. I'm thankful that he's still alive. And this Jewish doctor raised his hand towards heaven. And said, we had some outside help. <laughs> I said, I said, we sure did. We sure did. And so I believe, I have prayed many times since then. I've visited, I don't know how many people in the hospital. I remember one man who had pancreatic cancer. Not very many people lived through that. And I said, would you just turn your life over completely into God's hands and trust Him? Which He did. And thank God He did. And a few months later, He came to me. I, I tried to encourage Him in the Lord. He came to me and said, I want to be baptized, but I can't get into the baptistry. Would you baptize me? I said, sure. And so we, we had a little sprinkling service for the man. And you know, he lived, uh, I don't know how long, a few years with the, with, from the cancer. Uh, and, and I believe that, I really believe that there's power in commitment to God. When we really turn everything over to him and quit trying to do it ourselves and believe that he's able that it makes all the difference in the world. Amen. 
even as uh, dad talks about it, you can't help mention another part of the cycle. See, it's just, it's a rhythmic cycle we live in. And commitment and trust was the next section of that. Verse three talks about trusting in the Lord. The amplified version says, lean on, rely on, be confident in the Lord. I, I wish I had more time to tell the story of my brother. Uh, my brother and I were in a car accident when, uh, when, when he was uh, 17. And he broke his neck. And so when he, when he was talking about my brother being in another city, he was already a partial quadriplegic. But, uh, you know, things had happened in his life. But I can tell you, when we, um, when we had that accident, and my, my brother's lying in the hospital really all summer, either hospital or rehab hospital, one or the other. Uh, but you go through a time like that, you, you really learn to lean into God. And you have to make a decision whether you're going to trust him. Trust him with your future, even if it doesn't work out the way you had planned it to be. Uh, He referred to later on, uh, really 21 years later, my brother being in another serious automobile accident. And it was a weird thing. He was coming home from church and in this modified van that he was driving as a partial quadriplegic, his Bible fell off his lap and got down there to where he couldn't put on the brake. And he ended up um, uh, ramming into a wall and uh, seriously hurt again. And, and uh, you know, that's when he talked about the call he got where, you know, it didn't look like he was going to be living much longer. Well, <laughs> the morning my, my, my brother was in this second accident, my dad had preached from Psalm 37. And in that psalm, in that message, he had said, can, you, can we trust Jesus? Is he trustworthy? Can we trust him? And then the question, will you trust him? He had to answer that question a lot of times in the coming weeks and months. Would he trust God in this situation and, and you and I have to face that question. Will we trust him with our job situation, with our marriage, with our kids, with our finances and our health? See, our life is a prayer, this rhythmic prayer, the journey of commitment and trust. And let's listen to what dad has to say about trust. It's a simple word in many ways, but it's, I think, one of the difficult things because of our willingness to think that we can we can solve the issue instead of depending on him and to just be willing to say Lord I, I can't handle this in my own strength I can't do what needs to be done unless you help me it isn't going to work and I trust him and it's amazing I ask the people in, in sermons, is God trustworthy? And I, come, I would say, yes, he is. He keeps his word. Not, not one word of all the promises that he's made has failed. And I believe that his promises are still true, and we can still trust him. The next part of the cycle is delight, delighting yourself in the Lord. Uh, One person made a little acrostic with that. Daily, everything laid into God's hand triumphantly. (laughs) And see, that's a choice. 
We often think uh, that our, our attitude is eh, it's whatever because of circumstances. But it's a choice to delight in the Lord. Now, it's not based on our emotions. Thankfully, often it impacts our emotions. Because when we make that choice of our will to, tr- to delight in the Lord, it often refreshes us and gives us his joy. Because as we're in Christ, we're leaning into him, and his joy is our strength. Listen to what Dad said about delight. I find that rather, maybe too simple, but rather easy. When I think of how much he loved me and how much he has outpoured his grace and mercy in my life, I can't help but want to praise him. I can't help but want to tell people that I delight in the Lord. He is my strength. He's my comforter. He's my help. I just love him with all my heart. And the last principle of this cycle is rest. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. It doesn't mean it's inactivity on our part. Uh, One person said it's a relaxed readiness. I'm relaxed in him, trusting in him. Assured in him, ready to respond. And so let's listen to what Dad says about rest. I believe that it's important that we commit. And when we commit, we don't go back and pick it up and fret about it. When we rest in the Lord means we leave our commitment right there and say it's all in your hands I'm trusting you and just lean back and rest in him rest in the Lord one last short little video he's 85 years old so I asked him last question I asked him was just uh, what, could, what, what have you learned about uh, this life of cycle of victorious living of committing trusting delighting and resting One last response. It's the only way to live. It's the best way. Uh, The sooner you learn that the Lord is trustworthy and you can commit your life to him, your problems to him, it'll ease up your strain in life. You'll feel much better and God can use you even more, I believe. And I plan to keep that commitment day by day. What do you say? It's the only way to live. (laughs) It's the best way to live. I'd like you to bow your heads with me at this time. Thank you for your patience. Um, With your heads bowed, thinking of this series we're entering on prayer and our life being a prayer. What is it today you need to bring before the Lord? What do you need to commit to him today? Palms down. God, I turn my life, my circumstances over to you. Is Jesus trustworthy? Is he big enough to handle your sin, your need, your challenges? And the big question, will you trust him today? 
Will you delight in him? Will you choose to rejoice in the Lord today, confident because of his goodness and power? And will you rest in him? Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for how the, the men, who, men who, and women who have gone before us teach us about this journey of faith and how to live our lives as a prayer before you. God, we want to do that. We want to be faithful. You've given us this day. And we want to live, God, not worrying and fretting, but trusting and delighting and resting, committed to you. Help me to do that, God. Help me to teach my kids and my grandkids to live that kind of life. Help all of us to let our light shine for you as we walk in dependence by you, moment by moment, day by day. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.